0: I think that is surprising at all you're listening to the news on rthk a video has emerged which appears to show the last moments inside a passenger plane that crashed in central nepal on sunday killing at least 70 people the footage shows four friends from india excitedly recording the descent on facebook live they were heading to the city of Pokhara for a holiday With no warning, the plane appears to veer off with a loud roar and passengers can be heard screaming. The screen fills with flames as it crashes. This woman witnessed the crash.
1: I live in the house just next to the crash site. The plane crashed right across my house on a cliff. It came to the side of my house after bouncing back and then burst into flames. On hearing the sound, we looked out and saw a huge ball of fire in the air. We thought the plane was going to crash land over our house when my children and I were inside. But we were lucky that God saved us.
0: Officials say the flight data and voice cockpit recorders have been recovered The Italian actress Gina Lollobrigida, one of Europe's most prominent film stars of the 1950s and early 1960s has died She played the female lead in numerous Hollywood films The BBC's Mark Duff looks back at the life of Gina Lollobrigida. Despite a career that spanned half a century she liked to claim she became an actor almost by
2: mistake I was uh, a student in art school painting and uh, they stopped me on the street and they asked me to do the movie (laughs) so i really i didn't uh, want to be a star but uh, in
1: spite of that i finished to be a star
0: john huston's beat the devil cast gina Brigida opposite humphrey bogart who said she made marilyn monroe look like a child actress
1: ever since i met you you feel my thinking You are becoming an obsession.
0: You're listening to the news on RTHK. Thanks, Barry.
2: Good morning. Good morning. It is Tuesday the 17th of January. This is James Ross. In the headlines, US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will hold her first face-to-face meeting with Chinese Vice Premier Liu He tomorrow in Zurich. The pair will, quote, exchange views on macroeconomic developments and other economic issues. Uh, So says the U.S. Treasury Department. Vice Premier Liu is in Switzerland for the World Economic Forum's annual meeting in Davos. But Davos may not be the event of the week, which instead could be the Bank of Japan's meeting tomorrow. The BOJ is under pressure to change its rates policy after its attempt to buy itself breathing room backfired, uh, pushing bond investors to test its resolve. Unlike central banks that have been raising rates to battle inflation, the BOJ continues its decades-long attempt to stoke price rises, even though inflation has exceeded the bank's target. Well, wholesale prices in Japan jumped to record 9.7% in 2022 from a year ago after December became another month of double digit growth as higher import costs kept up inflationary pressures and squeezed corporate profits. The annual gain in wholesale prices was the biggest since comparable data became available in 1981 new home prices on the mainland fell for the 16th consecutive month in december easing by 0.25 percent of the 70 large and medium-sized cities tracked 55 saw a decline in home prices an increase of four compared with november tech giant tencent has fired more than 100 employees for violating company policies with some referred to police and found guilty of bribery and embezzlement Hong Kong-listed Tencent is the world's top video game maker and owns WeChat. Company CEO Pony Ma last month told a staff meeting that the level of corruption was, quote, shocking. Uh, Bloomberg reporting that uh, Chinese financial regulators and the mainland's biggest bad debt management companies plan to offer as much as 160 billion yuan, that's 24 billion U.S. dollars, of refinancing support uh, to high-quality developers in the first quarter. That, according to people familiar with the matter, the loans add to a clutch of measures issued since November to try to arrest the slump in China's property market. The FT reporting that the reopening of China will help propel global air traffic to pre-pandemic levels by the middle of the year. That according to the world's second largest aircraft leasing company, Avalon, which says that after a, quote, 70% recovery in passenger traffic last year, led by Europe and North America, Asia will drive growth in 2023, helped by China's recent reopening. China's Diddy has been given the green light by regulators to resume new user registrations for its ride-hailing services starting Monday. Uh, Diddy has been waiting for approval to resume registrations and downloads of its 25-banned apps as a key step to return to normal business uh, since its regulatory troubles started back in mid-2021. Well, we'll be joined on Money Talk today by John Schofield, uh, Managing Director at Tempus Investment, and Nick Marrow, Lead for Global Trade at the Economist Intelligence Unit. Uh, With a view on Japan is Neil Newman, Deputy Head of Japan Research in Tokyo at Macquarie Capital Securities, Japan. Well, don't forget, if you have any questions for our guests, you can email us at moneytalk at rthk.hk. Text us on 63935925. Our Facebook page is Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And on Twitter, we're at Money Talk Radio 3. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Well, let's have a quick look at the markets. Uh, Wall Street, though, was closed for the Martin Luther King holiday. But a reminder that stocks finished in positive territory on Friday with banking shares higher. Uh, The S&P 500 finished up 0.4%, gaining 2.7% on the week. The Dow ended Friday up 0.3% and the Nasdaq up 0.7%. European markets were higher overnight as investors assessed the growth and inflation outlook. The stock 600 closed up 0.5% at 454.63, with retail and financial services both up 1.3% and media stocks up 1.2%. The World Economic Forum in Davos is a key focus for European markets this week, with key themes for discussion being the war in Ukraine, economic instability and uncertainty, and climate change amongst other things. The FTSE 100 closing up 0.2% at 7,860, France's CAC 40 up 0.3% at 7,043, and Germany's DAX also up three-tenths of 1% at 15,134. Hong Kong stocks closing flat yesterday as profit-taking, offset growing optimism about China's reopening, with eyes now on the release of the country's growth data later this week. The Hang Seng inched up 8 points to 21,746, the Shanghai Composite jumping 1% to uh, rather, while the Shenzhen Composite added 1.4% to close at 2,094. Uh, Tokyo stocks ended at more than a week's low uh, yesterday with uh, exporters feeling the pressure from a stronger yen as investors bet the Bank of Japan could be forced to tweak stimulus settings again as soon as this week. The Nikkei 225 falling 1.1% to close at 25,822, its lowest since the 5th of January. To the commodities market, uh, Brent crude currently trading down 1.5% at $84.03 a barrel, Uh, sticking with oil for a moment and Bloomberg reporting that India bought a record amount of Russian oil last month, with the country importing a whopping 33 times more than a year earlier. Uh, The world's third largest uh, crude importer purchased an average of 1.2 million barrels a day from Russia in December, according to data from Vortexa. That's 29% more than in November. Russia is now easily India's biggest source of oil after overtaking Iraq and Saudi Arabia several months ago. Back into commodities and uh, copper is down 1.8% at uh, $413.90 a pound. Spot gold down slightly, currently $1,916.02 an ounce. In bonds, the US 10-year bond currently showing yield of 3.50%. In currencies, the euro buying cents. The U.S. dollar standing at 128.51 Japanese yen. The pound buying 9.53 Hong Kong dollars. The yuan standing at 6.74 against the U.S. dollar. Bitcoin currently at 21,182 U.S. dollars. Just looking quickly... At the S&P ASX 200, it's currently down a fraction at 7,381. And looking at Hang Seng Futures, looking like the market will uh, open just a touchdown this morning. Okay. time for us to say hello and good morning to our guests. Uh, say good morning, first of all, to John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempus Investment. Uh, good morning, John. Yes, hello. Good morning, James. Uh, nice to have you on the show. And also, uh, good morning to Nick, uh, Nick Marrow, a Lead for Global Trade at the Economist Intelligence Unit. Good morning, Nick. Good morning. Well, Janet Yellen's going to uh, meet uh, Chinese Vice Premier Liu He uh, tomorrow in Zurich, uh, it seems. It seems that uh, uh, the US and China are facing up to their differences, economic and otherwise. How do you think this is going to shape things up, John?
3: Um, Yes, I think, uh, presumably, they're going to focus mainly on on trade and and the uh, US-China disputes. And... um, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't be expecting any any major breakthroughs here, really. Um, Just the niceties, do you
2: think, at the moment? And uh,
3: I, I, I would have thought so. Um, getting things back know, to normal, but, perhaps it, a bit it's more. It's gradually, it, yes, things are gradually easing. Ex- except you've got this uh, this major pinch point with the um, with the semiconductors, and uh, you that, know that's a sort of ge- almost a geopolitical issue
2: yeah that really does seem to go on um, mm. being a problem are you being, are you feeling optimistic that that's going to get better
3: um, in the um, i I doubt it as long as um, you know that's the the one thing that the u s has really to um, you know contain china mm. uh, geopolitically I think that's um, they're unlikely just just to um, uh, just to ease that up.
2: Nick, there's a whole range of different mm. issues, aren't there? Chips amongst them uh, between the US and China. Uh, are you feeling that maybe tensions are dropping a little bit between the two?
4: Right. Well, I think on balance, it's positive that the two sides are at least talking. Um, so if, the, if mm. we think about Davos, right, this is the first time in like three years that the Chinese have sent anyone in attendance. Um, and if you think about the China US bilateral relationship, um, we did see the two presidents meet in November, but really, um, that was after a very very frosty period in, in ties, um, and there's still a lot going on, not just in, in terms of chips, but also mm. you know what's happening in terms of Hong Kong, Xinjiang, Taiwan, South China Sea. Um, so talking on economic issues is definitely a start. Um, when we're looking at Liu He's, uh you know, trip to Davos, we we expect him to really be trying to uh, play to. Rebuilding foreign investor confidence in the Chinese market Uh, that seems to be a big priority of the Chinese leadership Um, and Talking about macroeconomic topics might be one way to do that But on balance uh, when we kind of take, you know, a step back and we think about the chips uh, You know the frictions over different economic models um other topics that were not resolved during the trade war—it um, still does point to a relatively challenging outlook for both sides.
2: There's a lot of fast peddling going on, uh, it seems, by the Chinese government at the moment, really trying to uh, catch up and get back into the the swing of things. Nick, right?
4: Yeah, I mean, we can see that very much in terms of the uh, the U-turn in the zero COVID policy that we experienced, uh, you know, in, in early December. Um, I think there is recognition um, that. Uh, China is trying to, or I think there's recognition within, among Chinese officials uh, in the sense of kind of not just reopening up um, for, you know, uh, epidemiological reasons, uh, but bringing back investors, uh, trying to rebuild confidence. We're seeing that in other elements of the Chinese policy landscape in areas, not just like um you know, for investment but also investment more broadly, property, tech, all of the recent regulatory movements that we've seen just in the past mm. couple of weeks are speaking to this idea of trying to really, um, you know, restore that lost investor confidence that has been sapped mm. away over three years of the pandemic. John, are you seeing uh, China as a, a
2: big uh, factor in investments um, for you and uh, your peers over the next short while? Uh,
3: yes, I think we've seen uh, we've seen uh, quite a lot of money flow back into China, main, mainly through Hong Kong, obviously we've seen quite a good rebound over the last uh, three months. But I think we're probably due to due to have a pause shortly and and assess what the what the effects uh, of the move so far uh, are going to be.
2: Hmm. Any particular sectors that uh, you feel you know could benefit, or or, or the opposite, you know, property, uh, as we said, chips. Uh, you know, what's, yeah. what what sort of areas are, are you looking at?
3: Um, well, the Keith for the China macro. D- don't forget, uh, China really has um, the opposite problem of most of the rest of the uh, the-, the OECD. Anyway, that the- potentially we have a quite a big deflationary problem. Obviously, the initial reopening, we're going to have this burst of people travelling and hopefully Chinese consumers starting to spend some of their accumulated savings. But we've got this, um, you know, downturn in exports. Um, price pressure downward price pressures on many manufactured goods um that because china has a, a lot of capacity um starting to see finally um, major competition uh, emerging in the ev uh mm. vehicle business uh, coming from uh, you know we've seen tesla slashing prices giving uh, tesla some door, pressure right uh enormous pressure yes uh, and as all the other all most of the competition comes from the many uh, Chinese uh, EV players who are now trying to get to get get market share, um, and they will be they will be pushing to export those products, and of course the housing crisis. So those you know those are the two uh, two major deflationary pressures coming from China. So it's going to be quite interesting to see how those um, uh, those things play out. Hopefully it's all good news for Hong Kong and, uh, you know, the stock market here and getting uh, getting us back into Are we going to get the
2: best... Are we going to continue to get the best of both worlds or are we going to get the worst of both worlds? That's <laughs> always our, our quandary, isn't it?
3: Um, well, if with luck, um, I think in terms of, you know, Chinese capital formation and, and listings and, and so on, I think it's fairly clear that Hong Kong is going to be the main venue. So, um... Just a question of the quality of the, the listings and, and how, uh, you know, mm. how keen uh, uh, not just local investors, but obviously the international markets are to buy.
2: Right. Nick, uh, domestic stimulation, uh, stimulating the domestic market in, in China has got to be a focus for the government there, really, hasn't it?
4: Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, we just talked about how experts, exports um, posted really strong declines um, in December Uh, we're expecting exports to remain under pressure for most of the first half of this year a lot of that's owing to a pretty high base of comparison so there's a statistical reason for that um from last year Um, but it also reflects the weakness that we're expecting in the us and the eu and other major markets that are you know key destinations for chinese exports and the reason i mentioned exports is that trade was really one of the main drivers of chinese economic growth over the past couple of years um which in turn drove a lot of investment But given the deterioration in the external picture, given the lingering pressure that we're seeing in the real estate sector, um, it has to really be a story of consumption um, to kind of facilitate this rebound. And that's what Chinese policymakers are really looking at. In in December, we saw the Central Economic Work Conference, which really highlighted um, revitalizing consumptions as, as the main thing to do. So the question here is how are they gonna do that? Um, we, we've seen you know, big shocks to income and employment um, over the past couple of years under zero COVID. Yes, household savings are very high, but that's also because um, households have diverted um, Their you know investment that would otherwise go into property into household savings because of what's happening in the property sector. Um, I think on balance we are cautiously optimistic. We're probably not alone in expecting a rebound in Chinese consumption to really start to take off from the second quarter of this year as the initial disruptions from this you know reopening start to fade after Q1. Um, but in terms of fiscal stimulus, um, we're not seeing what you know we saw in other markets. So, for example, in the West, even here in Hong Kong, uh, we had you know direct you know fiscal transfers to households, you know, you know actual you know stimulus checks uh, to really you know push that consumption. Mm. Chinese officials um, are still very reluctant to do similar things. Um, and so that's going to be really the big, the big question mark in terms of, yes, stimulus is you know, probably on the cards, but what kind of stimulus? Um, it's probably not going to be directly tied to households.
2: John, regionally, you know, how are you looking at other factors in other countries? What's, what's your outlook for 2023?
3: Um, yeah, I mean, we're seeing quite, uh, quite good uh, recoveries in, in most Southeast Asian um, uh, e- economies and um it's going to be a positive 2023
2: here? do you think yeah are you feel um positive? yeah i think so <laughs>
3: i mean look just um just you know the southeast asia have um you know pretty much avoided these sort of you know inflation hyperinflation and uh, mm. the currency uh, currency weakness seems to seems to, to to have gone away so um yeah i was seeing it's seeing quite you know steady performances from you know thailand Philippines and so on. Mm. Um, I think you're about to raise this topic of Japan.
2: Yeah, we're going <laughs> to talk about it a bit more in a minute. That's, that's quite the, a big thing at the moment, that's, right?
3: That's, uh, that's, uh, I think that's a big one mm. for this year. And um, So um, so you're going to yeah, be watching the
2: BOG very carefully, a BOJ very carefully in the next day or so? Uh, yes, yes. Like uh, everyone. Certainly, <laughs> certainly.
3: Yeah. But they've got a tremendous uh, can okay. we move on to that subject, or? or well,
2: shall... I'm going to bring in uh, Neil Newman to, to talk about that from Macquarie uh, yeah. Security. Yeah. So I'm yeah. going to say, for the time being, I'm going to say thank you very much to John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investment, and Nick Marrow, uh, Lead for Global Trade at the Economist Intelligence Unit. Money talk on It is now 23 minutes past uh, 8 o'clock, RTHK Radio 3, Money Talk with James Ross, uh, back chat coming up at 8.30. We're going to talk about Japan, uh, as John mentioned there, uh, and we're going to be joined now by Neil Newman, who is Deputy Head of Japan Research in Tokyo at uh, Macquarie Capital Securities Japan. We find him actually in the UK at the moment. Uh, Good morning, good evening, uh, Neil. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Yes. Good morning. Good evening. <laughs> um, we're talking. Thank you there, me on. We're talking there, obviously, about the the BOJ, and um, maybe let's let's start this segment um, by just telling us the, the importance of this meeting in the next uh, uh, twenty four hours. Uh, what are we expecting from the BOJ meeting?
5: Well, I think um, you know what, what's important to, uh, to to understand is the context in which this this meeting is now taking place. I mean, they're regular meetings, um, but obviously over the past few months there've been indications. Um, that the 20-year-old policy of easy money, which has become more aggressive 10 years ago as part of the economic strategy, is is basically up for for a change. Um, the Bank of Japan has had a history of of being very creative with its monetary policy, um, and certainly the uh, the past 10 years have been very active. It likes bonds. to be
2: different, um, doesn't it? It likes to do things differently in Japan.
5: It, it, it does indeed, and actually, I mean, with the easy money policy, this actually was was a method that was used back in the 30s to pull Japan out of the uh, out of the depression um, influenced by the state. So it's nothing new from the actual methodology, but the way this has been enacted this time uh, has basically caused um, some problems uh, within the market, making the bond market largely dysfunctional, uh, distorting the equity market and causing an issue with the voting rights, um, with the Bank of Japan now being the largest um, equity investor in Japan, even larger than the National Pension Fund.
2: Well, bring us a bit up to date, uh, Neil, with what's been happening. Obviously, this has been going on for 20 years or so, and as you just mentioned, um, you know, what's happened in the last uh, six months or so?
5: Well, certainly, um, since the, the yen weakened um, very rapidly um, in the early part of, of the summer um, last year, um, there were some indications that something was, something was going on, because we could actually see okay. it um, sort of on the street in, in, in Japan, looking at the mortgage rates, because quite clearly, um long rates were were sort of edging up the short rates were staying put and i was speculating that maybe the uh, the mega banks had got some kind of uh, wind of something happening um certainly you know if you were shopping around for a mortgage you would find that your uh, your 10 year money uh, which uh, in in say march february march would have been less than 1% Um, to lock in 10-year money on a mortgage had gone over 1%. Hmm. So something was certainly starting to happen. Um, And then from around about September, I started to, to feel that there could be a move by the Bank of Japan and sort of raised the red flag in in the uh, silver week um, when there were two, uh, two market holidays, um, a relatively low liquidity in the market, and something might happen. And indeed, actually, it wasn't the Bank of Japan directly, but it was the Ministry of Finance instructed them to buy a lot of very cheap yen around the sort of high 140s level, which kind of actually made sense in retrospect, because if they were um, of the opinion that the yen would be much stronger by the time, say, we get to Easter, Then it'd be a very logical thing to do, and that's precisely what happened. So the yen moved a lot stronger, Uh, and then the second um, sort of uh, impact that the uh, the bank had on the on the markets. um, I was speculating with a London colleague they'd do it on Christmas Day, which wouldn't put it past (laughs) them because again, you know, the liquidity is very low. Um, Mm. But actually, yes, that's when they came in and and tweaked the uh, the yield curve uh, control targets, and again. Uh, strengthening the yen and the, the overall strength of the yen is very important because the, um, the import cost of energy, for example, um, went up to almost as high as 6% of GDP, doubling in a matter of a few months. So energy became very expensive and then also food, which also food imports got to about 2% of GDP, again, extremely expensive. So the inflation that was coming through from Im- imported fuel and, 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 um, and food particularly um, started to get sticky. And this, I think, is basically what the Bank of Japan is now being able to use to justify the change in its policy. As for timing for this whole thing, I believe that we will see the major components of a change in the policy um, coming coming through, and sort of you know very, much more evidence of this hmm. before Governor Kuroda retires in April next
2: year. A lot of talk about the the new governor, who who he or she is going to be, right?
5: Well, exactly. It's, it is something that is very, very kept very much under wraps at this time because it could be a market-moving event. So um, the, the process of selecting the new governor and new de- deputy governors is a fairly close-kept uh, secret. But, of course, you know, it does get speculated in the press. And certainly, as it seems at the moment, there are two main candidates. Um, one candidate, uh, Mr Amamiya, who is the current deputy governor, um, he's very much... Um, sort of with the way that the bank has been um, sort of not really doing um, too much as far as mm. policy changes but even he's been saying that things need to change and then the other, the other prime candidate I think at the moment is a Mr Nakasuo who was a previous um, Deputy Governor of the Bank of Japan and I, I met him actually once um, some years back, very thoughtful very interesting guy and he has a lot of new growth policies focusing on green initiatives and you know Japan's net uh, zero plan mm. and how the bank could possibly get behind that so i suspect that what we'll see is like a, a a clearing up of the old policies and a positioning to basically get out of them um or, or finish up with them and then leaving pretty much a green field for the new governor to come in and um, hopefully it'll be something quite exciting and just
2: very quickly before we, we head to the news uh, what about tomorrow what, what are we expecting out of that meeting do you think
5: I would expect nothing too much, to be honest. I don't think they really have to do anything more until perhaps the end of the month, which would coincide with the uh, FOMC uh, meeting. But one thing I'm calling for in in the very uh, near term is a removal of the negative interest rates and going back to zero interest rates, which would show a normalisation of the market. And that would have a big effect on the yen.
2: Well, we'll uh, watch that meeting uh, with interest and we'll say thank you very much to uh, Neil Newman, Deputy Head of Japan Research in Tokyo at uh, Macquarie Capital Securities Japan. Joining us uh, this morning from London. Uh, Thank you also to John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investment, and Nick Marrow, Lead for Global Trade at the Economist Intelligence Unit. Uh, Just before we go, quick look at the markets that are open at the moment. Uh, The S&P ASX 200 is... uh, Up 0.057% at the moment, 7,392, just a fraction up. The Nikkei 225 up three tenths of 1% at 25,905. The Cosby down a touch at 2,396. The Hang Seng looks like it will open 0.2% or thereabouts. uh, uh, when it gets going later this morning. Just looking at the weather, uh, cold and mainly cloudy, sunny periods and dry during the day with a maximum temperature of around 16 degrees. Moderate north to north easterly winds, occasionally fresh offshore. Uh, the outlook remaining cold tomorrow morning. The cold weather warning is in force. Uh, the red fire danger warning is also in force. It's 13 Celsius, 77% relative humidity. Back chat with Jim Gould and Edouard is on in a moment. But I'll see you tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Uh, now, here's Barry with the news headlines.
0: Justice Secretary Paul Lam has defended Chief Executive John Lee's request for the National People's Congress Standing Committee to in- interpret the national security law. Mr Lam was referring to the question of whether or not foreign lawyers could take part in national security cases here. Speaking at the opening of the legal year... He said the Standing Committee's power of interpretation is a link between Hong Kong's common law system and the Chinese Constitution.
2: There are some suggestions that the interpretation has expanded the power of the Chief Executive and the Committee for Safeguarding National Security of the Hong Kong Special Ministry region, eroding the judiciary's independent judicial power, and even putting the Chief Executive and the Committee above the law. Such suggestions are plainly wrong and misconceived. The inter- interpretation is by definition a clarification of the original intent and purpose of those provisions. It does not confer any new power on anyone.
0: Top epidemiologist Benjamin Cowling says the mainland's COVID-19 death toll of 60,000 is an underestimate given its strict definition of COVID deaths and that fewer COVID deaths tests are being done. Beijing released its figure on Saturday for COVID deaths that occurred from December the 8th when epidemic restrictions were dropped. Professor Cowling from the University of Hong Kong told RTHK that there are other ways to judge fatalities.
5: I would like to see information on how many people have died every week or every month in China in this winter. Uh, It may not be available for a while. Sometimes the mortality statistics take a while before they become available. But if eventually we have data on the respiratory deaths this winter in China, I think we'll see a clear surge due to COVID. And we'll be able to estimate how many COVID deaths there have really been. And I'm sure it will be a much larger number than the 60,000 confirmed COVID deaths.
0: Cathay Pacific has announced that it's cancelling some flights between the SAR and Japan in the first half of February. The announcement came after Hong Kong Express cancelled some flights, citing restrictions on flight numbers imposed by the Japanese authorities. In social media posts, Cathay said affected passengers would be moved onto other flights, adding that customers did not need to get in touch. The Italian Prime Minister, Giorgio Maloni, says the capture of the country's most wanted mafia boss is a major blow to organised crime. Matteo Messina Denaro, who'd been on the run for 30 years, was arrested at a clinic in Sicily where he was being treated for cancer. The city's former mayor, Leo Luca Orlando, who fought the mafia throughout his political career, told the BBC the arrest marked a change in Italian attitudes towards the crime organisation.
3: A fantastic day, but in this moment I wish I need to remember the, so many victims of the Mafia boss in, in long years, and I wish to say the reaction of the people of Palermo. Just uh, the applause to the Carabinieri. This is just a confirmation that Palermo is culturally really, really deeply changed.
0: A video has emerged which appears to show the last moments inside a passenger plane that crashed in central Nepal on Sunday, killing at least 70 people. The footage shows four friends from India excitedly recording the descent on Facebook Live. They were heading to the city of Pokhara for a holiday. With no warning, the plane appears to veer off with a loud roar and passengers can be heard screaming. The screen fills with flames as it crashes. This woman witnessed the crash.
1: I live in the house just next to the crash site. The plane crashed right across my house on a cliff. It came to the side of my house after bouncing back and then burst into flames. On hearing the sound, we looked out and saw a huge ball of fire in the air. We thought the plane was going to crash land over our house when my children and I were inside. But we were lucky that God saved us.
0: Officials say the flight data and voice cockpit recorders have been recovered. The head of London's Metropolitan Police has said the force is investigating allegations of abuse involving about 800 of its own officers. Mark Rowley was speaking after a serving officer, David Carrick, pleaded guilty to 49 offences, including dozens of rapes. Nusrit Mehtab was a police superintendent with the London force, but resigned after alleging